circumstances, it is well with my soul. Even should the skies open up and I hear the trumpet and see Christ descend, it's still well with my soul. We've been going through a study of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, and it has been with a um, less than perfect chronology. Um, and I'm going to show you how it has been less than perfect. Last week, we took a look at, at uh, an event in Jesus' life as he was heading towards Jerusalem. This passage of Scripture we looked at takes place just before and after those series of events. But I want you, because we saw that Jesus was traveling through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. And here we see that he hasn't yet um, left yet. So um, that's, and if we, uh, if I put the first part of John with that, then it would kind of broke up the reason that John writes this particular passage. Because again, it's, it's more about a chrono chronology of thought as opposed to a chronology of time. So in John chapter 7, it says this, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. I want to stop there. The feast of the booths is one of seven holy days, although the days are longer, um, for the Jews, there is the first is Passover, then unleavened bread, then there's uh, first fruits, Pentecost, then there's the um, trumpets and Day of Atonement, and finally the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths lasts for about eight days. It's one of three holy days that Jewish men were required, if at all possible, to appear before the temple in Jerusalem. One was Passover, the other was Pentecost, and the third, the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths has a couple of different names. One of it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, the other is called Shakot. And basically what the feast does is represents kind of the after the harvest and things, but it also is a time to remember when God led them through the wilderness and they would build little houses, if you will, out of plants and branches and whatever. So they're like tabernacles, temporary dwellings um, to recount that. And so it's this particular feast that Jesus is going to. And as a Jewish man, he would if at all possible, be required to go. And therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So you see that they aren't in suggesting that he go to Jerusalem to, in essence, be approved that he is the Messiah, but they're kind of, in essence, mocking him. Now, I want you to understand that if your family doesn't get you 
Jesus knows. Not because he's just God, but because his family didn't get him. And so much so, it was like, yeah, our brother thinks he's God. And I, and I bet a lot of you think your brother thinks he's God. And so we have this and, and whatever, and we have their parents who knew exactly how Jesus arrived on the scene and still his brothers were not accepting. Now, the, the good thing is, is down the road, literally, at the resurrection, not only do his, some of his brothers believe, they become very influential in the church. James and Jude are a couple of them. And so Jesus is, in essence, mocked. Go show yourself. Go make a big spectacle. Go publicly and head toward Jerusalem and present yourself as Messiah. And then Jesus says, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. Now, again, a little response. There is going to be a time when Jesus is going to announce himself publicly, and he's going to do so by doing what the prophets had foretold. Daniel gives a very specific time when the Messiah would come. Other prophets like Zechariah and others will talk about the Messiah coming on a donkey's colt and those types of things. And there will be palm branches and all those things. And he will come and enter into Jerusalem publicly. Passover is the feast that he was to do that. God has particular timing for what God is going to accomplish. And so Jesus is going, the Feast of Booths, important feast, but not the time that I am to reveal as the prophets say. But he says, if you want to go out and be uh, witnesses, be my guest. You always have the opportunity to. And then he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. So Jesus also tells them, my testimony, my ministry sets the world and me apart. You can't be a part of the world and be a part of me because if you're a part of me, the world is going to hate you. And in our times, it's becoming... Just as so. Not that we do anything differently than has been done by people years and years and decades and centuries ago. It's just often now, more people seem to approve those things that people used to be embarrassed about. And so if you speak against those things, then you're the one who is told that you hate. Because I testify that their deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. However, he said these things to them as he stayed in Galilee. Now, the next paragraph you're going to think, Jesus seems to either lie or mislead because he goes, it's, I'm not going, you go, I'm staying. 
If you read it superficially, you can say, well, there seems to be this conflict. But what is it they're talking about? His brothers are talking about him going publicly. He says, I'm not going publicly. He doesn't say, in essence, I'm not going. In some of the uh, language, the way the verb is written seems to indicate that, although in English it's, it's kind of more stilted. And so what, in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm not going publicly, you go publicly. I'm going to hang back. Not that I'm not going, but notice what his brothers wanted. His brothers wanted him to go publicly. So if you want to go in secret, the last thing you do is go around with a bunch of people who want you to be there publicly. So he's not going to go with his family. He's going to go later. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? And again, they're thinking, he ought to be here. He's a male. He's Jewish. One of the three times he's supposed to be in Jerusalem is now, so we ought to be able to find him. And there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he is a good man. And others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. So you see there this grumbling and this argument that goes back and forth, but it's under the surface. Because the religious establishment doesn't want you to think either one way or the other. They don't want you considering him. He's just a bad guy. Some are saying, well, he's a good man. Which kind of begs the question when Jesus had responded, good teacher. And he says, there's no one good but God. So if he's a good man, it means more than he's a good man. And others say, no, no, on the contrary, he's a He's not a good guy because he's leading the people astray. He's telling them he's God. And after all, there is no God but one. That's our God. And we're not going to deal with him. So not only does his family not understand him, the people don't understand him. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. So as I said, the, the Feast of Booth, the Feast of Tabernacles, last eight days. So in that middle process, that's when Jesus goes and he does one of the things that Jesus does. He teaches. He goes to the temple. He presents himself in the temple and he teaches. The Jews then were astonishing how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So you see, they're going, okay, Jesus is an itinerant rabbi, but he didn't go to a sanctioned school. He didn't learn from Gamiel. He didn't learn from Hillel. He didn't learn from all these guys. So how is it that he knows what he knows? Because he's not an educated man. He's from Galilee. I kind of somewhat... Understand this. Um, while I was uh, pastoring here, uh, I decided I should go to seminary. And the first class I took in seminary was systematic theology. Now, I had done systematic theology on my own before I was ordained here as part of my 
training, if you will. And I thought it was always interesting to go uh, to this class. The, the, the professor was a great guy. I liked him very much. Um, we didn't always see eye to eye. And since I was older than 24, his degrees didn't impress me. And so when we agreed, he would call me Pastor Joe. When we didn't agree, he would call me Joe. So I, I can always tell when we didn't agree, because the name was Joe. And there were times we didn't agree. For instance, he's kind of more in the sense of God kind of used evolution to get us all here. And I go, no, it seemed to me the scriptures say that he did so in six days. I'll, I'll take that position. So, and there were other places. And one of the things that bothered me about systematic theology, I'll use another example. I doubt anybody here does, but I'll use it as an example. You might like Shakespeare. And you might really love Shakespeare in, in whatever. Now, th those of you that might love Shakespeare are those who really like the King James Version, because that's kind of the Bible like Shakespeare. So, if you went to a class to read Shakespeare, you would be somewhat disappointed if all you read was about Bill Frank thought about Shakespeare and George Jones thought about Shakespeare, and you never read Shakespeare. And in systematic theology, there was a lot of, well, this professor and this theologian thought this about the Scriptures, and this theologian and this philosopher thought this about it. I'm going, I don't care what they think. What does the Scripture say? And quite frankly, I don't care what I think, and I don't care what you think. What is it that the Scriptures say? And so they're, they're going, wait a minute. He's, he's teaching as if he knows what he's talking about. Let me give you a guess, a little secret. He does, because he wrote the scriptures. The best person to interpret what they meant is the person who wrote it. So if you write, and, and, I, and I'm going to say this because apparently uh, my wife took a couple of my love letters to one of your last classes. Okay. If you wanted to know what I meant in the letter, you don't ask my kids. They weren't there. They didn't write it. I did. Same with Jesus. And so he says, and so Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. So he's saying, I'm not doing anything on my own account. I'm doing it because God the Father has sent me. And if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus is saying, my teaching is not my teaching because I came up with it. My teaching is mine because the Father gave it to me and I'm giving it to you. Not to say, whoa, he's really smart, is that to glorify God the Father. And if that's the desire, then the glory to goes to God, and the, there's righteousness in that teaching. 
So he says, if you know God, you know what he's saying. If you know the shepherd, you understand the shepherd's voice. And then he's going to use an example. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Now that's a shocker. Because the whole point is for them to be super religious is to obey the law. So Jesus gets their attention. Yeah, Moses wrote the law. But you're not carrying it out. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? You see, the crowd doesn't necessarily know what's going on. Because the establishment wants him dead. And Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but it was from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Jesus is saying, Moses incorporated in, his, in the law circumcision. And you were required to do circumcision on the eighth day. If the eighth day was a Sabbath, you were supposed to rest, but you're still supposed to do the circumcision. And Jesus is saying circumcision didn't start with the law. It went all the way back to Abraham. So he's saying, if you can violate the Sabbath rest, then why is it that you hold me guilty of not just circumcising a person, but restoring them to health? Do not judge according to the appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Now notice, the crowd said, you're crazy. But the people who live in Jerusalem know what's going on because they've heard the scuttlebutt. They've heard the religious leaders. And the thing is, Jesus is one of the most wanted Look. He is speaking publicly, and they are not saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. You see, they've got tradition, and their tradition says he just magically appears. No one knows where he's from. We know where this guy's from. He's from Nazareth, and then Capernaum, and he's up there in Galilee. That can't be the guy. There's misinformation. And again, Jesus understands that people misunderstand you. Because there's all these things that they assume to be accurate and aren't. And you know what happens when you start assuming things. And when Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus doesn't even go back and say, Well, you know, I was born in Bethlehem. He goes all the way back. I was sent from the Father who is in heaven. He knows me. He sent me. 
You're worried about whether I'm from Bethlehem or Galilee. I'm ultimately from neither of those places. I'm from heaven. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Now, I want to note something here. People who don't read the scriptures, who seem to be educated in the scriptures, will tell you that Jesus was ministering and his reputation and all things got ahead of him and the wheels of history crushed him. No. Jesus' life was not taken. It was given for us. And it was given for us at the precise time God determined to be given for us. And Passover was that time, not the Feast of Booths. So even though it was human desire to stop him, God is in control, even when we don't know what's going on. But many of the crowd believed in him. So you get some who are confused and some who are opposed, and some who are seeking his life, and yet there are some who believe in him. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? So they're, they're, they're making the argument, okay, we've seen what this man's done. We've seen what this man says. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. You can't expect more than what he's already shown you. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. So apparently the first attempts wasn't working. So we're going to send the people who know how to arrest people to do it. And therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? Now you can see, they don't have a clue what's happening. Because he didn't say where I am going, but where I am going to him. Then I go to him. He didn't say that I go to a place. Then I went from Father. I'm going back to the Father. But when you have a predetermined determination, you don't hear what is said. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is the statement that he said? You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Because he's going to carry his cross. Die. Be buried and raised again on the third day, and return to the Father. And these people are not from the Father. Therefore, they cannot go to the Father. Now on the last day, 
the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, at the Feast of Booths, they had a ceremony during the time of Christ. It wasn't in the very first part of the Feast of Booths, but as history goes, people like to add ceremonies and whatever. And one of the ceremonies was the drawing of water. And it was done for a couple of reasons. One, water is vital to life. Number two, the scriptures say, through Zechariah and others, that during the millennial kingdom, if certain nations don't attend the Feast of Booths, they won't get any rain. So here's, here's a, um, a note for you to take when you're there in the millennial kingdom. Make sure wherever you are, they send people to go to Jerusalem. Otherwise, it'll end up, uh, I had the fortune this year or last year to go to Lima, Lima, Peru. They said, I, I think it hasn't rained there since 1979. So if I were them on the Middle Kingdom, I'd send somebody. But the water was there. But also the water has another understanding. That as the children of Israel traveled in the desert, there was a rock that Moses was told to strike and water came out sufficient to satisfy everyone. Then later he was told to speak to the rock and Moses messed up because he was frustrated with the people and he struck the rock a second time. And that was the reason he was not allowed to go into the promised land. But the New Testament tells us that rock was Jesus. Jesus is he who satisfies not only the physical, but the spiritual of life. That that life pours out, not just a little drizzle, but flows, rivers. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So there is a time, and that's one of the things that you can kind of tell. How, how, quote unquote, spiritual are you? Do you feel that your life is in a desert? And maybe the spirit isn't flowing as it ought to be. Maybe there's something stopping it. Maybe that's something that's stopping it is called you. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others saying, this is the Christ. And still others, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. So again, there's this controversy. And throughout Christianity, there's always controversy on who Jesus is. Because not everyone understands. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, why do you not bring him? So we sent you to arrest him, and you come back empty-handed. The officers answered, 
Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. So they said, wait a minute. You told us to arrest this guy. But he's not who you said he was. The Pharisees then answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. They're saying, we're smart, they're dumb. We're smart because we know things, they don't know things. And yet the argument was, well, the Christ was supposed to be the son of David. So they know a lot more than, they, than the leaders seem to under, indicate. In essence, what the leaders are saying is, don't believe your own lying eye. Believe us. Nicodemus, who came to him before being one of them, said to them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? So he's going, wait a minute, you're not following along. You're not presenting due process. Or our due process says you cannot determine he's guilty unless you give him an opportunity to defend himself and you've not done this. Now notice their response. They answered him, You're not also one, you are not also from Galilee, are you? It isn't, you know, you're right, we need to hear from him. It's, oh, you're a bad guy too. Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And they're right. Because as the people said, the Messiah was to be a son of David. Scriptures also say, as David professed, the Lord said to my Lord, sit down until I make your enemies footstool." David understood that there would be one greater than him who would come after him. So to become a believer in Jesus' time as is now, it's difficult because people will oppose you. People will argue against you. People will say, you don't know enough. Notice the scriptures say, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. It doesn't say, if you believe in your heart and have the four spiritual laws memorized and all of the Gospel of John memorized, and you can ask and answer all kinds of theological questions, then you are a believer. No. If you believe and confess. And by doing that, then God places the Holy Spirit within us, which is rivers of water flowing out. Not only sustaining us, but sustaining others that they might drink and come to the understanding of who Jesus is. There are very few people who will ever say that they know it all when it comes to Jesus. The only ones who do generally don't know him at all. 
I mean, there are some really difficult questions to ask. For instance, the, the Old Testament says, the Lord our God is one. But then it talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But our God is one, and yet three persons. And every time we try to explain those things, we become heretical. Some things that are in God's plans are just beyond our pay grade. Some things are easier. Some things are so hard. To know that Jesus is fully man and yet fully God. He instructs us to love one another as he has loved us. Didn't say, you don't get that one down, you're not mine. He understands that faith is gradual and grows, but all you need is a mustard seed size and you can move mountains. So you can continue to be worried about what others say, or you can come to faith. Neither worry about your reputation, or you can receive that water that is life-giving, that flows from you. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of great songs about rivers running through you, so what we're going to sing is Grace Like Rain. Because the grace that God gives us is like rain. It falls on the just and the unjust. Those who believe will go, hmm, I'm surprised they believe. Others that don't, we go, well, we would think they would. But it's who God calls. But his grace falls like rain and causes those rivers to flow. And God, all God's people said,